This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, you really shouldn't have fed us after midnight. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for a rousing discussion of more curmudgeonly Gen X bullshit. What can I tell you guys, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the work of Joe Dante film director of such movies as Gremlins, Explorers, and Inner Space. I admit that I got into him because, you know, I'm 13 years old and the Twilight Zone movie and the Gremlins movie come out and just hit me right in the sweet spot. And I've always been pulling for for Joe Dante. And, you know, his career is kind of tapered and tapered. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, so... If you want to skip straight to that part of the show, check the show notes for the timestamp, and you can go listen to us talk about Joe Dante, but you'll miss out on all the fresh shit that we've got coming up, including a discussion of Alita Battle Angel. As always, if you want to reach out to us, hit us up on Twitter. We are at MagHuge. On Instagram, we're Magnificently Huge. Facebook.com, Magnificently Huge Podcast. Or you can email us, MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. Uh, rate us on iTunes and google play or wherever you can rate the podcast share us with your friends and if you want to catch up on back episodes go check out our website maghuge.com that's m-a-g-h-u-g-e.com there you can find links to all the past episodes of the show and also links to all those ways to contact us so you don't have to remember them all right hang on for a trip back to the 80s with director joe dante Hey, it's the Magnificently Huge Podcast. See, energy. <laughs> Eric demands energy. We got energy. I'm Brian. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Brian. Uh, who are you guys? I'm I'm Chris. I, I figure I can make up for my lack of energy by just saying energy. <laughs> you and so that's energy over there, yeah. and that's Chris, and I'm Brian. Okay. Hi. How is everybody this week? Hi. Great. Nobody cares. <laughs> energetic. Sound the alarm. You're going to be uncomfortably energetic. Man, we're horrible at the beginnings, but the middles are really fine. Let's just put it that way. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's let's cut the crap and, and go straight to our normal segment then. The fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is real. Fresh. This is where we talk about movies and music and books and whatever we've been doing the last uh week anybody got any fresh shit yeah i do oh er energy has some. energy How has some energy yeah. what have you got tell us energy okay so i finally watched annihilation has anybody seen any uh commercials for annihilation when it came out yeah oh i mean i saw the movie yeah i still haven't seen it it's on the queue but i haven't pulled the trigger yet i, I believe i'm on record telling you that you wouldn't like it eric was i right <laughs> i loved it really i loved really it. Oh God! I thought it was great. Everything I, I I I'm with it with everything right up to the last shot. The last shot of the movie, I went, ah, come on, that was cheap. That was cheesy. But otherwise, I thought, no, it's really smart. 
Well, that's nice. uh, that's what's his face, right? The guy that did uh, the Blade Runner guy. I thought it was the uh, ex machina guy. It was the ex machina yeah, guy. No, machina sorry, guy. it's the ex machina okay. guy. Yeah, 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 sorry. We can't remember his yeah. name right now, which shows uh, you how big of a fan base he has in our circle. Indeed. Yeah. How was um, how was it though? Brian enjoyed the music, if I recall. Yeah, the music was really good. The production was really great. The 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 ideas were smart. I mean, there's just yeah, it was the movie I was hoping I would get. Uh, it was smart. It was science fiction, but not like actiony science fiction. I I, I kind of get bored of action science fiction. I guess like anything Marvel. Yeah, so it's a movie that's working on a metaphorical level more than it is on a plot level, if you that think? makes sense. I thought it was actually oh. pretty pretty decent uh, science. I mean, that was the that was one of the analyses I saw was just like you know people who are um, looking at the end of that movie and just looking at what's on the screen and aren't thinking about the subtext are missing the point, right. and that's that's being said by people who read the book, I guess. Is it more like an environmental thing? Is that my understanding? Kinda. Okay. It's it's basically the idea is that, that some alien thing comes to Earth and it refracts and synthesizes whatever it sees. And so it, it's, it's changing everything it touches. And in the end, the only way to stop it is our own human innate self-destruction, which is kind of a funny way of turning it on its head we we all have have a drive to destroy ourselves we destroy the environment we destroy everything we touch we're we're horrible and that's the only way to stop this thing <laughs> well it's true more or less mm, a bit more than less it's also sort of unstoppable like you can't you can't undo these kinds of fundamental changes like it's just going to happen okay right Okay. Yeah, it's a but it's an ex machina joint, um, and it has that same well thought out, discussable kind of science fiction. Yeah, I think it's funny that in the beginning she's discussing uh, cancer cells and how to combat cancer cells, and I think right. the 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 idea behind this movie is the way to de- destroy cancer cells is to make them more like us because we destroy ourselves. Okay, so the human definitely part of it. The yeah. human race yeah. is a cancer, is the the gist. Yeah, I get it. Is it tonally? You is know it- what I can't stand? The smell. <laughs> I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. Oh, so <laughs> so it's so it's good. You would recommend? I definitely would. Um, okay, and Brian, yeah, you recommended as well. You just didn't think Eric would like it. Um. I'm a more tepid recommend than Eric okay. is. Uh, you have to be in the right mood for this movie, oh. I think. Okay. I got you. And just know that the climax is like the climax is like 10 minutes of wordless like acid tripping balls shit that um when I saw it in the theater it was also really really loud. I don't know how uh. it went across on a small screen, you know, but and a theater setting, that was just an overwhelming sequence. Yeah, and I, I was watching it on an iPad with headphones, so it was fine. <laughs> so it was the full cinematic experience. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Uh, it was the ideas and not so much the 
the the I don't know. When when I say that the the end of it bothered me, I don't even mean the last ten minutes. That I was all fine with, and I was no, on no. Board. I know what you're talking about. The last five seconds, uh, yeah. I was like, that's that's cheating. That's bullshit. <laughs> um, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. So as the uh, the contingent here that hasn't seen it, I will assume that there's some sort of spoilery five seconds that we're yeah. not discussing. Yes. Predictable. Yeah. Spoilery. <laughs> okay. Go go see it, and then we can like you know discuss off air why you right. you do or don't it's, agree it's in my queue i just haven't started it yet i haven't because I, I feel like it's like brian said it's one of those you got to be in the mood for and i just haven't yeah. been in the mood for it maybe that's it i know since i saw the preview i've wanted to see this movie so goddamn bad but i never got around to it probably because of that whole mood thing but i think yeah, you just night hit yeah you've just summed up alex garland's entire career i think right there <laughs> <laughs> bravo uh, the other, the other fresh shit is uh, a video game, Crackdown Three. This, oh, yeah, this will not take right. long. <laughs> Impressions. First okay, of all, what I is was, Crackdown Three? Okay, Crackdown was a game that came out on the Xbox 360 ten years ago, okay. and it was fairly genius. It was like Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> and that you had an open world environment, but fairly genius. Of, oh, fairly, fairly with an F. Pretty oh, genius. fairly. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I thought you said um, barely genius, and that made me just... No. <laughs> but that is a great idea for uh, um, for a Will Smith comedy. Yeah. Um, barely anyway. genius. Okay. So, yeah, it, it was it was really smart. It looked really neat. It's it's still really fun to play. They had a crackdown, too. Didn't do so well. Xbox One comes out, and they say, oh, and you know what'll be coming out soon is Crackdown 3, and everyone went... Yay! And they kept saying, ah, we're pushing it back. Ah, we're pushing it back. Ah, we're pushing it back. I bought this Xbox One like four years ago on the promise that I'd get to play my ass in Crackdown. And what's it been? Four years? Five years? Something like that. That's It's been a seriously delayed game. Man. Yeah. And it just kept, just, just the wait and the wait and the wait and the wait. And I have been just on the balls of my feet going, when am I going to get to play me some Crackdown? And it finally comes out. You know, when I explained all this to my wife, she really summed it up. I can't steal this. She said, I told her, you know, there's like five years to wait for this fucking game. And then it's good, but it's like just good. You know, it's not like five years of development behind it. And she said, so it's Chinese democracy. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. Which is not bar. bad by any stretch of imagination, but it's just not, you know, it's a game, whatever. But is, I, if I'm going to sit down and play a game for quite a while, I'm not looking to play anything, I guess is what I'm saying. It's just kind of an average shooter that doesn't even get the whole vertical space thing correct that the first game got. It does that cell shaded graphics look which is a bit outdated. It's mm-hmm. just not as fun. It's bigger. It's got more weapons. It's got more challenge. It's just not as fun. Well, maybe Crackdown 4 will be your, your game. You can wait like five years for that one, and then yeah. it'll be good. Because uh, a sidebar, I did read a story that Duff McKagan has said that a- Axl Rose actually has material finished for another album, and it's good. And huh. they promised it won't be like Chinese Democracy. 
<laughs> so, so there's hope. I I read an opinion piece about Crackdowns because it's be, it's been getting shellacked in the reviews. Yeah, which isn't um, fair. The opinion piece was this might be the future of Game Pass, which is you know basically Microsoft's Netflix for games. Yeah, you know you pay your subscription and then you get a library of games you can play, and it's like Crackdown Three doesn't have to like win the world over or not it just has to justify your subscription so it's kind of like these netflix movies that are like good enough but not world changing (laughs) right unless they star will smith well this one stars uh 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 everybody hates chris's dad yeah (laughs) sandra bullock yeah yes okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sandra Bullock of video games okay. if Crackdown 3 had just shown up fully formed like hey here it is kind of like Sea of Thieves did like hey here it is it's on Game Pass everybody been fine with it I, but I'm five sorry, years just, of teasing it I'm sorry I'm still stuck on the idea of Sandra Bullock as everybody cr- hates Chris's dad you better take out the fucking trash <laughs> uh, so um, Eric, if yeah. you've never played the Saints Row games, I recommend Saints Row Four or even Saints Row the Third. Right. For- I, I, I plan to poke around that Game Pass, but I do find that yeah, I'm I'm a different kind of gamer. I get something like Skyrim, and I will just play it straight for two years. You right. Know? I I don't I don't I guess want to jump around a lot. Jump up, jump up, and get down. A jump lot. around, jump around. Jump up, jump up, and get down. So, yeah. do you remember, Brian, when Eric was hardcore into the first Hitman game? So, this would be like, no, this would be like 03, 04. Like, every time I talked to Eric, that's all he fucking talked about. And he would just, <laughs> and he would go into very ornate detail about how he killed somebody. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much what up. you're supposed to do in Hitman. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it was like, I wasn't playing it at the time. So, I'm like, oh, cool, man. Cool. He's like, no, no. <laughs> It's like you can garret them to die. So when he hooks his claws into a game, it's amazing to behold. Yeah, just that's yeah. The, that's I kind of make a career out of a single game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's mine. What you got, Chris? Uh, first off, I would like to say that this week I discovered that there's a new kind of bubble wrap out there. Uh, basically, you can't pop it. Did you? Oh, know? I've seen this. What Why? stupid? What kind of monster creates bubble wrap that you cannot pop? Exactly. Someone who hates joy. That's who. Yeah, they've ruined Christmas. Uh, but yeah, basically, it's it's like little pockets, and then they're all sort of attached through like a little thin membrane. So when you squeeze the bubble, it just pushes all the air into the next one. Yep. And you can't yep. pop it, and it just defeats the purpose of having bubble wrap. So I just wanted to. to throw that out there to say that whoever invented that you're a monster yeah that's a sum of bin laden definitely yeah, that's some next level just bullshit right there okay i, I feel better now that i've vented uh but yeah okay uh, bubble wrap of the past is basically done um <laughs> and then the only thing i've really consumed is uh i i got into on netflix the umbrella academy have you guys watched this one yet keep meaning to Everyone's telling me to watch it. It's really good. I thought it was going to suck, 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 and I got drawn in, and it's honestly one of the best things I've seen in a long time, especially in the superhero realm. Uh, 
because it it just looks and feels a little bit different. It's kind of like when I watched Legion for the first time, the first series of that. It has that sort of oomph oh. to it because it's just slightly weird enough to draw it out of whatever we've been conditioned to with all this Marvel and DC stuff. Uh, it had it had a look of just, Doctor like, Who's I, uncanny I get Mystery X-Men. Men vibes from this thing. Uh, it's like, it, it's like if Mystery Men was done serious because it's. I mean, it's not like an over-the-top Dark Knight brooding sort of bullshit. Uh, there are moments of levity, to be sure, but uh, it's it's a team up. But the thing that I like is because it it's sort of the opposite of what like Tarantino does, where he puts all his influences in there and he just recreates them mercilessly to let you know, hey, this is what I pulled from for this shot, for this scene, <laughs> right. blah blah blah. Well, they do sort of the same thing here, but it's not grating. Like Tarantino, they basically, it's obvious what they're pulling from, but they've changed it up in just enough of a way to make it seem relatively fresh. I don't know how they, it's like an alchemy thing. I don't know how they did it, but there's elements of obviously like X-Men and Fantastic Four, uh, but then they've got family dynamics that they pull from stuff like Royal Tannenbaums. If you can believe it, because it's all the interpersonal mm-hmm. stuff between the, mm-hmm. the characters. There's a huge uh, subplot involving sort of like an Akira sort of a, a th- flow through. Uh, you've got like Sixth Sense uh, in there. I mean, it's just this weird amalgam of influences, but the way they've combined them all makes perfect sense. Uh, and I really thought I was going to hate it because it's the guy that sings for My Chemical Romance, Gerard Way. He, uh, he actually has, is the writer of the comic book that it's based on. And he's a producer on huh. it, uh, which ultimately made me think, "Oh, this is going to suck so bad." Uh, I'm sorry. Now you're now you're reminding me that uh, my my kids sent me a mashup of My Chemical Romance, not okay, <laughs> on top of um, Despacito. Oh yes. So it's like it's like the you know the dance hall beats. I'm not okay. okay. That's awesome. It's it's really a, a tightly good, tightly wit knit uh, show. There's only ten episodes, so it doesn't really waste any time. Like the Marvel stuff, they attack on like three or four extra episodes where it's just like, get on with it. This one's very How tight. the episodes? Uh, about 45 minutes to an hour-ish. Okay. All under an hour for sure. Uh, and then there's like a whole weird like Philip K. Dickey sort of subplot because there's time travel involved. Uh, it gets very windy. Uh, but the fun thing is just to watch the, the main characters because the gist is it's... Uh, in 1989, 43 children on Earth were born uh, just out of the blue. Like the mothers hadn't been pregnant the morning they woke up. And then by the end of the day, all these kids were born. And this eccentric billionaire uh, went around the world and basically uh, got a hold of seven of them and then raised them as a family. But he only gave them numbers instead of names. And he's basically training them because they've all got special powers. Uh, and it's sort of the the dysfunctional family that grows out of that, uh, which is what plays out. So it's, it's got a lot of interesting character arcs and things. So it's, it was very, very well done 
they finessed a lot of things that you don't get out of stuff like Arrow or Gotham or any of that stuff. Uh, a lot of subtlety to it. Like enjoyment? I, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was shocked that I went through it as fast as I did. And the soundtrack is really, really good. You can get that on Spotify. So, Brian, I would urge you to check that one out, too. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my deal. Umbrella Academy. Go team. All right. I've got two movies. Uh, one of them, I guess, has a Tarantino influence from how it wears its influences on its sleeve. Um, isn't it romantic? A new rom-com making... Uh, It's like Scream for rom-coms, starring Rebel Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there some Groundhog Day in that, too? No, it's it's really just Scream. It's, It's... She's... I mean, she bonks her head when she's getting her purse... Snatched in the oh, okay. I gotcha. And then she wakes up and she she's in a romantic comedy and she knows she's in a romantic comedy. And and so it's on the one hand it's like a deconstruction of rom coms and on the other hand it's a little bit too much like the Lego movie too, where they like have to verbally underline every fucking reference because oh, it's you wouldn't want the rom-com hero. Anything. Last <laughs> rom-com hero. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but you know what? It's it's cute. It's fun. It has a couple dance numbers. It's clearly Rebel Wilson is, is a producer on it, and she's like made her own star vehicle because what else is she gonna do? Yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah, I mean it's, I mean, it's bubbly and fun and and completely disposable. If you don't like rom coms, would you like this movie? In your humble opinion, I, you know, it tries to appeal to people who don't like rom coms by having the protagonist be one of those people okay. who hates rom coms, and so like she's rolling her eyes at everything that's going on around her, <laughs> but. I don't know. I mm, yeah. maybe it looked I like a hard need to be familiar with rom coms to yeah. get it. Yeah, it's it's tough. It looked like a hard pass for me. Well, if you're not familiar with it, they will tell you all of the tropes verbally that they're going to <laughs> to make fun of because they they don't want you to miss them. Um, well, so, somebody run through the rain. <laughs> really? Yes. No. No. Yeah. And and when the no, like it's the kiss in the rain, and she and then the rain starts. She's like, of. Of course, of course, there would be. You know, it's like that. Um, you know, my f- there is there is the slow motion running to stop the wedding, and she's like, "Oh no, slow motion!" <laughs> no. You know, so it's it's very very lampshaded. That I got way. I got to tell you, my favorite meta joke from rom coms was actually in Sleepless in Seattle, and it's the scene where Tom Hanks and his buddy. Uh, are recounting yeah, everybody's the, favorite yeah, thing, recounting yeah. the end of Dirty Dozen, and they're doing it like in tears, like it's a sad movie. Uh, that one always gets me. So yeah, if it's anything like that, I'll I'll watch hey, it. Uh, is it American Rebel Wilson or Australian Rebel Rebel Wilson? Australian Rebel Wilson? Good. Okay. Actually, yeah, actually shows her as a child in Australia. Um, Hence the accent. Yep. And yeah, no. So as a Rebel Wilson thing, it's good. She gets to do two musical numbers because, of course, her romantic comedy would have musical numbers. Right. And they have this stereotypical gay queen who just has no job and appears out of nowhere uh, whenever he's <laughs> conveniently needed. The magical mm-hmm. gay queen. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Every movie and, needs one. Uh, 
her the movie she's stuck in is PG thirteen. So when she tries to have sex with uh, what's his name, uh, Liam Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth's younger brother, mm-hmm. it cuts away, and she's like, "Hey, wait, I didn't get to have any sex. Let's try that again." Cuts away again, and she gets all frustrated. And uh... whenever she tries to say "fuck," uh, something makes noise to bleep her, like a truck backs up or an alarm clock goes off. This sounds like an obnoxious movie. It's <laughs> it sounds right up Eric's alley, actually. It really doesn't sound like er- up Eric's alley, but well, you it does make good use of its one fuck in a PG thirteen movie. Okay. Like, but you didn't think he'd like Annihilation, so your track record is spotty today. Yeah, well. All right, I'll talk about my other movie that I also am not convinced Eric would like. Oh. Um, I saw Alita: Battle I Angel. I knew you would see that. Oh my lord! Of course, lord. I would see that. Ah. Come on! Why would I not see that? Yeah, what is this? That's the that's based on the manga. Uh, it's Jim Cameron had been doing it for a, in pre-production forever and dropped out to do five billion more avatars, so he <laughs> gave it over to Robert Rodriguez. Oh. Yeah, James Cameron produced, Robert Rodriguez directed. Um, they invented the performance capture technology for Avatar originally for making Battle Angel. Yeah. And and this is the final result. It just um, it, it looks. The, I think it, I think it's just interesting that the most wasteful filmmaker of all time is producing the most frugal director of all time. I know. <laughs> it's and it's you what can happens see if you all give of Robert Rodriguez a, bu- a budget is what's happening here yeah. <laughs> and force um, him to spend it. Yeah. It looks. Yeah. It the trailers make it look like something in the realm of Jupiter ascending. Oh, it's way better than Jupiter Ascending. Okay. All right. Um, Jupiter Ascending was was yeah, close to a, unwatchable. A train wreck? Yeah. Um, the, the problems with this movie are all in the script. Um, the, the, the plot is just, they try to cram too much in, and you end up kind of caring about none of it. How, how but, like, do you... Do you get used to her big fucking eyeballs in this thing? Yes, Or does it do. just get distracting? In fact, she is a completely CGI character. Yeah. And she's a very, very... I mean, it actually kind of helps the movie that the, there's a little bit of Uncanny Valley. Okay. Like, she kind of looks like a, a character from a PS4 game inserted into a movie, but it makes the rest <laughs> of the special effects, like, more believable. Because if you're, going to, if you're going to accept that this character is in the movie, then all of the other special effects don't have to be at, like, full-on perfection standard for you to buy the whole movie okay as a seamless piece and it lets robert rodriguez play okay so it's basically your your test if you're not on board for her then fuck it It, you know what she's irritating as shit in the early parts of the movie partially because yeah she's got freakishly big eyes but also (laughs) because she's got freakishly big emotions and she's playing the anime character style to the hilt. So everything she does is just way over-exaggerated. And in the beginning of the movie, she's all optimism and happiness. And it's not until her, like, her soldier programming asserts itself and she starts killing the fuck out of cyborgs um, that, that the movie really takes off. But boy, does she just kill cyborgs in this thing. Um, people are cut in half. Um... But but Faces robots are right? torn off. But robots huh? though, so they can get away with the. Or is it an R-rated movie? 
Well, it's it's a PG thirteen, okay. so it's bloodless. Okay, and it's actually very, I think, very close to what you would expect from a manga style. Like a guy gets his face cut off, and there's sort of the structure underneath hanging out there, or there's a point where she breaks her hand off in somebody's eye socket. Like it doesn't <laughs> shy away from that sort of Japanese anime, okay. you know, Fist of the North Star, um, Akira shit. It's 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 got some pretty brutal action. Okay. You get to Kira so, to dude. <laughs> so that's uh, that's two Akira references in this podcast so far. It is interesting. It is. So how does this, um, how would this rate compared to the other recent output from Robert Rodriguez, which has not been good in my opinion? Um, it, way better. Like he's not he he's trying. Right? Okay. He's not sleepwalking through it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The Shark Boy and Lava Girl, this ain't. This is this is an actual movie. How I long mean, ago was that? Uh no. It's like uh a while. I guess I'm trying to think of what, what his last movie even was. Was it that other Sin City? Sin City. Well Ooh, the second uh, one, I'm not sure how involved he was in Sin City too. Yeah. Like how much of that was just yeah. Frank Miller, but I have no idea. I'm sorry. I made his jump track. No, it's fine. Oh, whatever. I mean, no, I mean, James Cameron's all over this thing, right? Like, the production design is anime and Robocop and Blade Runner all over the place. Um, the casting is absurd. You've got Christoph Waltz as the father figure. You've got Jennifer Connelly looking awesome throughout. You've got, um, I don't know how to pronounce his na- first name, Mahar- Mahershala Ali. He's nominated for an Oscar this year uh, for Green Book. Interesting. Um, he's he's the ba- the bad guy. Um, Michelle Rodriguez shows up. Jeff Fahey shows up. Jeff um, Fahey? What? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Casper Van Diem has a very short cameo, which I actually mistook him for Bill Paxson. I was like, holy shit, how long have they been filming this? <laughs> it's, it's, and, like, it's like Leia in the Star Wars movies. They just CGI'd him in. Yeah. And then Game somehow over, Jai man. Courtney is still getting work, and he shows up in this thing, too. Um, but the We're best is, is at the very, very end. There's a puppet master character who is finally revealed to be Edward Norton, and Edward Norton is looking down upon the whole thing, manipulating everybody and controlling all things, and he's been made up to look very similar to James Cameron, <laughs> like <laughs> on. Uh, so you've got an actor who's notorious for being micromanaging and, and controlling, making fun of the producer who is also famous for being micromanaging <laughs> and controlling as the big bad. Yeah. It's a nice little meta joke. And neither of them are going to be in a Marvel movie ever again. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, you know, I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. I saw the trailer and I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, I'll enjoy it on an I Frankenstein level, but it was better than that. Okay, I have a feeling that's going to be sort of the the theme for most of the flicks coming out this summer. Parts of I liked, and others I didn't. I mean, it just <laughs> seems like it's got enough visual panache to make it somewhat interesting and fun, but at the same time, yeah. it just looks like the story would be a slog. Yeah, and that's just it. If this movie had come out 10, 15 years ago, it would have ruled the world but now we're just so used to spectacle all the time yeah that something this th- with this much spectacle just kind of bounces off of you yeah like, we're, get- we're we're in a post-jurassic world world yeah yeah infernal engines actually got called out <laughs> for being yeah 
Infernal which, Engine. Yeah, no, this is better than Mortal Engines aspect. too. Yeah, yeah. better in, than that. And in those Infernal Engines cursed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all the fresh shit I got. <laughs> oh, thank God. So, uh, topic for this show was inspired by the recent demise of character actor Dick Miller. Rest in peace. Dick Miller. Sorry? Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Dick Miller. Dick Miller uh, was mostly known to me because he shows up in all of the movies by Joe Dante. Every single one. Joe Dante. (laughs) Well, maybe not anymore. Yeah. But. um, (laughs) Well, you don't know that. They brought. (laughs) They brought Bill Baxter back. The next one, it's just kind of gross. Yeah. Because he's dead. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. Yeah. But Joe Dante really got my attention in middle school with Gremlins and the movies that came after it. And I had had as a as a show idea to do a retrospective of, of Joe Dante films. And Dick Miller's death inspired me to say, OK, fine, let's do that. Finally, it's a good flow through because he literally is in every Joe Dante movie ever. <laughs> I mean, you can look it up, but he's in every single one bit part or larger role. It doesn't matter. It's a very odd so, thing. For those of you who don't know who Dick Miller was, if you remember Gremlins, he was Mr. Futterman. And mm-hmm. if you can picture Mr. Futterman from Gremlins, that guy. Goddamn foreign gods, they always freeze up on you. You don't find American machinery doing that. Our stuff can take anything. See that plow? 15 years old. Hasn't given me a day's trouble in 15 years. You know why? Kentucky Harvester. Ain't some farm piece of crap you pick up these days. That's a Kentucky Harvester. And, uh, and there's a whole documentary about him called That Guy Dick Miller. Uh, I think it's on Amazon right now, but you can probably find it elsewhere for streaming. But it's a really good documentary. It follows his career as well. So I would urge you to watch that. So I'm I'm wary of doing another Tarantino episode that goes on forever and ever. Um, so I'm going to try and, and cluster films in the Joe Dante oeuvre the a oeuvre. little bit here. Sure, that's fair. And so we start out with like the Roger Corman stuff. And Joe Dante's credits... Uh, early credits include the original Piranha, Rock and Roll High School, and The Howling. Well, the Howling wasn't. A lot of, start there. The Howling was sort think of. think that Piranha was directed by James Cameron. This is not true. He no. did the sequel. Yeah, he did Piranha, yeah, Piranha uh, 2 was James Cameron. And yeah. uh, Piranha 2 was not owned by Corman. He lost. It was a one off. So Piranha was the only one that New World Pictures did. But uh, you forgot another one, too. His first feature, which he co directed with Alan Arkish who he made rock and roll high school with was called Hollywood Boulevard. And basically because he came into as an editor, they sat down and just took stock footage from uh, new world pictures uh, and created this <laughs> pastiche movie around all of the other footage. Uh, and it was about an actress sort of making her way through Hollywood. <laughs> so it's, oh. that's all it is, is just them going, Oh, we can take this footage and put it in. That'll give it some production value. Sort of a Corman version <laughs> of that's entertainment. Yeah, basically. It's the Corman version of this podcast. You know, yeah. We just steal other people's stuff and make it sound better. <laughs> the first exactly. clip show. Yeah. Uh, but Piranha I like because it's it definitely it's the, one of the later Jaws ripoffs, uh, but it still works. I mean, it's a B movie, yeah. don't don't get me wrong. Uh, but John Sales was also getting his start in the Corman fold, so he wrote this thing. And they were afraid that they were going to get sued from what I read because it's such a blatant Jaws ripoff. And apparently Spielberg saw it and said, nah, let him do it. It's obviously a spoof. 
And so that's sort of the <laughs> so that's sort of the beginning of of the 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 Dante career, more or less. Yeah, Rock and Roll High School is one of my favorite all time films. I can't watch that and not feel good. It is just a happy movie. Well, apparently he, he he's not credited as director, but I think he was yeah. a co director on it. Yeah. Okay. No, he, um, I I went to a screening of it at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland, and uh, uh, um, what's her name? Uh, PJ Souls was there, and Riff Randall. Said, yeah, he, Riff Randall. Um, I guess yeah, Joe Dante basically took it over for him. I can't remember why he. Didn't I think it was. It, but. I think what I read is Arkish had gotten ill. Or had a family emergency thing, so Dante stepped in and took over a lot of the the stuff yeah. until he could come back. It's like a weird deal. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it, it, but it's weird when you watch those early ones because you because like us being kids in '84 when Gremlins came out and really blew up the Joe Dante brand. Uh, it's weird watching those early films because they've got all kinds of TNA and gross out humor. And they're just not, it's like, they're, they're weird, man. They're not like Joe Dante movies as you come to know them later on in the eighties. Uh, well, like I don't us. know. I think there's a real through line in Joe Dante's films, right? He, here's the thing, right? I, I've, I'm the guy who's always ragging on the boomers and boomer nostalgia, right? And Joe Dante is right there. He is a boomer nostalgia <laughs> guy yeah. through and through. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, and this is, this is the important thing here, right? He is a boomer nostalgia dork, right? So he was into like all the shitty monster movies from the fifties and the shitty sci-fi movies, the things that inspired Mars Attacks, right? Like yeah. stuff like the you know the robot monster or the man from Planet X, uh, and he'll reference this stuff throughout his career. Um, well, also, so not not only the B movies, but also like Looney Tunes and things like that. They're all very prevalent yep. throughout. There's always like a cutaway of something on the TV that someone is watching, and it's either an old monster movie or it's an, like a cartoon. Yeah, every single he's, one. He's putting his film geekness on in every single yeah, one of these movies. Definitely. Uh, but I like. Have you seen The Howling lately? I I went back and watched clips from The Howling. I okay. haven't watched it end to end. Because if you time. watch the thing, I mean, that to me is kind of where he starts clicking in to place as a fully formed filmmaker. Because uh, it's it's structured very well. Again, it's another John Sayles script, but he throws in all kinds of just inside jokes. Like when they're in kitchens there's always like a can of wolf brand chili prominently displayed because <laughs> it's, it's a wolf, a werewolf movie or there's like on the TV, there's always cartoons playing, but it's always like the Tex Avery uh, wolf cartoons sort of just stereotypically in the background. I mean, it's just like, you know, he knows what he's doing. It's pretty funny. It's good. There's like, there's a scene where somebody turns into a werewolf on television and they cut away to commercial. It's a dog food commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, but again, this is sort of the start of his stock company, apart from Dick Miller, because this is where Robert Picardo yeah. gets his start uh, yeah. with Joe Dante. And then the actress, uh, what's her name? Belinda Belaski shows up in a bunch of his stuff as well. But Picardo, I, I was second to Dick Miller, I think, as far as appearances in Dante films. And who's the guy who was the bad guy in UHF? Um, Kevin McCarthy, who who Kevin was McCarthy. yeah, who was originally He's in, another stock player. Yeah, he was in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So that's yeah. sort of the throwback to that whole fifties monster yep. era. So it all kind of 
comes as a package. And Henry Gibson shows up in some of his work too. So yeah, but we start to see, especially Picardo. Yeah, yeah, which is funny. So uh, anything else about the Howling? I'm just I'm sad that it doesn't get more recognition. But I think it's because it came out the same year as American Werewolf in London. And yeah, I got to be real, the American Werewolf in London is a better movie overall. It's a better looking movie. Yeah, yeah. it looks better. Yeah. Uh, it's got a more even tone. Because The Howling takes a while to get rolling. And at first it's sort of like a stalker movie, and then it becomes a werewolf movie. So it's it sort of, to me, it's a little uneven. Uh, the Howling was... I think it's funny thinking of the howling and how old we are because <laughs> yeah. this isn't well you, you know you go okay howling 1981 okay it's a long time ago but this was also starring D Wallace who at the time was somebody and just went away to the point yeah. nobody knows who the hell D Wallace was but she was in ET she was in Cujo she was in right. all these movies at the time well based on the strength of her role in the howling I think is how Spielberg found her to put her in ET if I remember correctly. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of weird inner connectedness with Spielberg and Dante. If you look through, through this filmog filmography, the, the howling is also the first movie where Rob Bottin or however you pronounce his name, Botten, yeah. T-T-I-N, yeah. uh, was, was the lead, uh, creature effects guy. And of course he would go on the next year to do John Carpenter's the thing. Yeah. And in the world translation, you can actually see a lot of the, the genesis for the stuff in the thing too. It's weird. Like you can kind of see the, oh, this will work for this. Cause when you get to the bits where the, the head's turning into the spider and that sort of thing, it, it sort of just struck me as I was watching the howling. It's good times. So then we get into sort of Joe Dante busts out on the scene and he busts out in a big way. He does, um, the, uh, the little kid, you know, demon kid with all the powers segment of twilight zone, the movie. And, of yeah. course, Gremlins. Well, Twilight Zone, the movie, is a weird beast. It's a shitty, shitty movie on the whole. But Dante mm-hmm. and George Miller are widely recognized as the two bright spots in an otherwise yeah. oh, shitty Dante's movie. Oh, Dante's segment is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love it's, it. It's got, yeah, it's like Looney Tunes mixed with German Expressionism. It's just the fucking weirdest <laughs> thing, man. It's so weird. Oh, no. There is, you were talking about the television thing. This is the example of that, okay? Yeah. Because in, in, in Little Anthony's Evil House, the cartoons are always on, and they're always commenting on what the people are doing. Yeah. yeah. And it's that was creepy. fucked it's, up. Like, yeah. when, they, when he's like, hey, it's my birthday, and then you hear the cartoon, like, not happy birthday! Not happy birthday! <laughs> you know? Not happy birthday? No! It's a birthday supper. Yeah. It's like it's his subconscious. Yeah. And uh <laughs> and it's also another example of Dick Miller shows up, Kevin McCarthy's in it. So he's starting yep. to you're starting to see the same people show up. Uh and there's a prototype gremlin in it. That's true. Yeah, it's true. And there's also that fucked up rabbit when he pulls it out of the hat. I was n- I never expected that. And then it comes oh, out yeah. and it's just this like full on just monster with teeth. I'm like, this is this is gonna make some kids shit his pants. <laughs> you know? It's like oh, fuck yeah. me. Uh, and, but that's why it's the best segment in that Twilight Zone movie, because the Twilight Zone was gonna make kids shit their pants. Yeah. Like it comes on like, yeah, it's okay, kids can watch this. Oh, but you're gonna not sleep tonight, you yeah. know. And that that um segment totally sold that i mean i'm a big 
big fan of the zone and yeah it's my favorite segment of the movie well as calling cards go it's a nice 30 minutes uh and it definitely helped him because i mean i mean spielberg obviously hired him but spielberg and landis just made the most tepid just yawners uh in that movie and then spielberg yeah and then you get to dante which is the next to last and it's like a jolt of adrenaline and uh i think that pretty much john john landis did the bookends right with uh yeah yeah and john landis killed his lead actor (laughs) and two kids yeah Uh, oh that's right that's right yeah so yeah but uh but you can definitely see the the flavor uh going into gremlins which came out uh the year after 84 and that literally is the movie that dante is going to be known for above all else absolutely let's let's be real gremlins is a classic absolutely a classic we've talked about it before um it was shot you know kingston falls is the same back lot as back to the future yeah um it's uh I don't even I don't even know where to start with Gremlins. It was my favorite movie at the time. I was 13, but yeah. it was like wow. Well, we've touched on this before because we did a whole show about 80 movies from 84, but Gremlins and Ghostbusters were released on the same day. Uh which That's Ghostbusters nuts. yeah, Ghostbusters was like the number 2 movie of the year, but Gremlins was number 4. Uh and it really catapulted Dante. I mean, it just everybody at least in film circles knew who he was because gremlins was such an amazing movie but when you read the behind the scenes stuff it's like how did this ever get made it's like they didn't know what they were doing i mean they just like went in oh yeah we'll do some puppet and then literally all of the behind the scenes stuff it just everybody associated with it just said that was the worst hardest thing i've ever had to do uh so it's sort of the he took that corman sort of thing where you just you know meet meet each day get the problem solved and get it done I mean, it's. I don't think anybody else could have done it. But and it's structured so perfectly as one of those. And I know I said this in the '84 episode. It's one of those 1950s monster movies, right? Yeah. Like it's the, the the kids who see the monster and nobody believes them except for the school science teacher who knows all of science. And you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I mean, some of that's got to do with uh, Chris Columbus doing the script. I mean, he he knows how to do the 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 good three act structure pretty well. But I think Dante, you can see, definitely took his influences and injected them wholeheartedly. Because you get to the end, and it, like the gremlins are pretty much the only people having fun in that whole thing. And there's that <laughs> whole scene, not only in the bar, but also in the, the movie theater. Sing hi-ho. Yeah, and you can start to see that Dante, just is the, he's, he's joyous about film in general, and he's just going to put it all out there. I think that's what makes it so infectious. And then, you know, some murder. Gotta have the yeah. Murder. Gremlins is a nasty little movie. It's, yeah, it's yeah. I like that again, it, it was aimed at kids. Yeah, one of I like that it, PG movies because it was partially responsible for PG thirteen. Yeah, between him and uh, and Spielberg ripping out people's hearts in Temple of Doom that same year, I think yeah. Yep. People went, oh my god, the kids are going to be scarred. But I remember being a kid going, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so shows shows what parents know. <sighs> So, yeah, then we kind of get into, I guess, you know, Joe Dante's peak of his career. The next two movies were Explorers and Inner Space. Yeah. Yeah. We got to talk about these. Explorers, I always kind of want to like, or I did when I was a kid. 
I could see how like cheesy and flawed the whole uh, uh, operation was, but I liked the idea of the three kids with the three specialties putting together a spaceship. Except, of course, in the end, it turns out they don't really do anything. The alien just abducts them. Yeah. Right. But the thing with Explorers that I feel kind of bad for Dante, uh, because he's riding the high gremlins, and he makes this. It's got good bones. I mean, it's, you know, but it also came in during that weird period where they did a bunch of kid scientist movies. And I think it got kind of lumped in. And then the studio changed, not ownership, but the, the studio head shifted. And so they basically just dumped his project. I think towards the end, they just said, nope, you're done filming, put it together, we're going to put it out. So he didn't get to make the movie that he wanted to make. And I always feel bad for him on that one, because it's you could tell it's like if he actually had been able to do it the way he wanted, it probably would have turned out much better. Okay, so I don't know if I can disconnect my experience with Explorers from the time in which it came out. So it's 1985, right? I'm like the same age as the characters in the movie, Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix and whoever that other kid was. And <laughs> also, Jason um, Cresson. Yeah. It's, it's the point in time where I finally got my hands on a computer, right? This is, this is like TRS-80 oh, no. color computer days. <laughs> you didn't try to build a spaceship, did you? <laughs> I didn't try to build a spaceship, no. But like, if you're that kid... At that point in time, hey, I have access to my own computers was a big fucking deal back then, and you felt it too, Eric, no matter what you say, I know. (laughs) Um, After I saw War Games, I tried to change my grades with Word. Yeah. 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 How'd that go? (laughs) Um, Well, they kicked him out of Catholic school. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's not so much that I want to be that kid, it's that... It this is a fantasy for that kid. Yeah. And it worked out pretty well. Um the ending was was kind of a downer for me because I was expecting something more epic than what we got. I think it threw a lot of people for a loop, honestly. Uh in in retrospect it's it's such a Joe Dante ending, right? Yeah. The, the it totally is the cartoon yeah. thing. Well did, but just yeah, this whole conceit that aliens show up and they're just totally absorbed with ridiculous pop culture that has no context and that literally is what we're going through today i mean it's like you've got the internet at your hands and you can look up anything (laughs) but most of it doesn't have any historical context so it's like yeah whatever so yeah it's fun i always figured that was like a way of say the aliens saying this is how we're trying to connect with you yes by being as dumb as you (laughs) well they had been watching our television so they assume that's what we communicated like it's it's really just the they ripped it off for bumblebee didn't they yeah um except nobody (laughs) saw explorers so it's okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Explorers is fun. I, it is. I, it's a guilty pleasure. Well, I, in the in the movie, that guy Dick Miller, they actually touch on it because Dick Miller's in Explorers as well. Uh, and they talk to Dante. And he's like, "Yeah, I did Gremlins. I was riding high, and then I did Explorers, and it came out and nothing. And then I wasn't." <laughs> so he's very pragmatic yeah. about the whole thing. Uh, so I'm glad that he could do something like Inner Space, get back in yeah. bed with uh, with Amblin. I, I, a last thing, though, on the cast, uh, it stars uh, River Phoenix, who will die of a heroin overdose. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, who, who will should marry the most beautiful woman in the world and then cheat on her. And uh, Amanda Peterson, who would be in Can't Buy Me Love and uh, die of a brain tumor. 
So there's an explorer's curse, you're saying? Yes. Yeah, might as well be. Oh, yeah. Except except uh, uh, Jason Presson apparently is doing well, but only because we don't know who he is. He was, uh, <laughs> okay. he was in Gremlins 2. Don't worry. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. So, Innerspace, Joe Dante gets to remake Fantastic Voyage. Yes. But as a as, comedy. As a, make it funny. As a buddy comedy. It's yeah, an amazing. A legitimately funny movie. Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing concept, and I love it. This, this is yes. one of my top, top Dante movies. I got to be honest with you. I this do not tire of it. my favorite Martin Short movie as well. Yeah. He's, uh, he's perfectly casted. Uh, so the conceit here is that Dennis Quaid is injected into the body of Martin Short, who does all sorts of physical comedy, given that he's being fucked with from the inside. Um, it's it's like spies and hijinks uh, and and Fantastic Voyage all rolled together. It's yeah, it's amazing. and it's and it's like uses the plot device of the ticking time bomb because he's gonna Dennis Quaid is gonna run out of air. Unless they get him out, but they can't get him out because of the industrial espionage people trying to steal the technology, and that's what they're running from. And I like that it's Vernon Wells, uh, who was the Mohawk motorcycle dude from Road Warrior, uh, and then the the weird chainmail dude in Commando that fights Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> he gets to be like this this silent uh, hitman, but he's got like a detachable hand that he can <laughs> he, like puts a hand like a gun in that shoots out of the the finger, the index finger. It's so ridiculous, but it's so much fun. <laughs> Robert Picardo is the cowboy who is yeah. a Middle Eastern man who either thinks he is or just emulates cowboys. Yeah, and so he has that great moment in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, Oh, I loved that. Yeah. And then uh, I think this is where Meg Ryan and uh, Dennis Quaid met, if I remember correctly. I think you're right. So, yeah, a lot going for it. I'm surprised it didn't do as well. It, it only made like 20-something million. What? It, yeah, it was like number 47 for the year in 87. So it's above oh. Raising Arizona, uh, but it it's below Baby Boom, Princess Bride, Lost Boys, but it's 87 is a weird year. That was Three Men and a Baby was the number one movie. So I don't know what the fuck everybody was thinking that year, yeah. honestly. Uh, but Interspace doesn't get I can get say an- that about everything about 1987, <laughs> really. I, yeah, yeah, the 80s generally, yeah. I think but you 80, can say that. 87 Everyone's was sort of like... their ass. Yeah, but 87 was sort of like, that's the most 80s year of the 80s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, eighty six I think is peak eighties. Eighty seven is the is that's the where the worm turned. turning into the late eighties, and then <laughs> yeah. by the time you get to eighty nine, yeah. everything is just the fucking worst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but around eighty seven, somebody said, "You know what? We should probably have is a nineties. Yeah, somebody get on that stat. <laughs> well, all I would say about interspace is I'm I'm sad that it doesn't get more love. And that not as yeah. many people are aware of it because it is a very tight movie. I mean, it's go I, watch Inner Space, people. Yeah, because I remember I'd seen it a couple years ago. It was on cable. It just showed up, and so I just sat down and watched it. I'm like, I forgot how tight this movie. I mean, the editing, the pacing, everything. It's just it's almost flawless. So Mwah. we're not really getting into it. Uh, Dante does a bunch of TV work too, and I think his TV work informed. The work he did on another film that year, which was his segments for Amazon, Amazon Women, Women on, on the, the moon. moon. Someday we have to do a show, I think, on anthology comedies. Yeah. 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 This is this is like UHF meets the Kentucky Fried movie. Um, That's fair. 
in that it's it's conceit is you is you're flipping the dial on old UHF channels and it is very much boomer nostalgia. Well, um, when you look at the the bits that Dante directed for it, though, they're very much him. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, I can't like bullshit or not. Extraterrestrials, strange phenomena, missing persons, lost continents, myths, and monsters. We examine these mysteries to determine are they bullshit or not. With Henry Silva doing That's one sort of, of my a, favorites, yeah, because it's just the line "bullshit or not," and then it turns out that uh, the Loch Ness monster <laughs> is actually Jack the Ripper. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then the, the Frenchman, uh, what is it? The French ventriloquist dummy. And so Dick Miller again is a ventriloquist, but he apparently gets the wrong case at the airport so when he goes on to do his act it's a french ventriloquist dummy and so it only speaks french i mean it's like what in the <laughs> hell is going on <laughs> uh, uh, and then he does the bit with the guy uh again interacting with his television right but there's a siskel and ebert thing yeah. where they're reviewing his life and giving him a thumbs down and after all that what have you got you've got a big board a dull clock an empty suit and another thing, I was always one step ahead of this guy's life. There just were no surprises. Now, wait a minute. What about the ending of his life? No, that came as a surprise. I ending? saw that coming a mile away. I didn't. What you see? And then, it, and then it goes to his funeral, which is a which is, turns into a roast featuring, first of all, Robert <laughs> Picardo as yeah. the, the guy, the, the funeral end. director, but also Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor. Slappy White. Yeah, any uh, young, any Youngman young uh, and Steve Allen. Steve Allen shows up. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and Charlie and Charlie Callis. Yeah, it's like an old school roast, but it's for a dude that's dead. <laughs> and then, oh, it's so it's so dark. It is so dark, but so goddamn funny. It makes me laugh every time I see it. Harvey was a man, my friends, who was the same in life as he is in death. A stiff. <laughs> But uh, all seriousness aside, we are going to lay two things to rest. Harvey Pitnick and the rumor that Charlie Callis is funny. <laughs> yeah, and his last bit was uh, had Paul Bartell and Carrie Fisher in it, which yeah. was the social disease, which is just this sort of uh, take on, well, again, kind of 50s horror movies and sci-fi movies No, it's, it's, it's more like a, like a 40s uh, short reel like a, yeah, I don't know, like a like marijuana warning kind of thing, like yeah. a reefer badness. Yeah. Uh, and at but the it's, end, that they have the old Art Deco logo for Miracle Pictures with the yeah. slogan: "If it's a good if, picture, it's a miracle," which is yeah. recycled from Hollywood Boulevard. So he's throwing in a lot of uh, stuff that he's used. It's pretty funny. But that one, that bit's got all my favorite. Plays like television. Yeah. But it's got my favorite line in the whole movie. It's when Paul Bartel just keeps going, sit, sit down, down, Mary Brown. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was enjoying the deliberately bad editing, yeah. right? Where they'll like break the, the pain between the two actors between cuts and, you know, just all sorts of just yeah. deliberately amateurish uh, acting and editing. It's very well done. So, again, I wish this movie would get more love, too. Yeah. But yeah, anthology movies. Well, we did we did Zucker Abrams Zorker and talked about Kentucky Fried. So. Yeah. Right. 
But you figure there's, I, I, this makes me think of like all of the ones where there's, you know, good premises and bad premises, but there is a certain amount of honesty to saying, I don't have much more than this one bit. Let's just do this one bit. In fact, yeah. I've actually got a bunch of those. Let's just, nah, that's not <laughs> exactly. true. I've only got like 40 minutes of one bit. So let's get a bunch of people together with their other 40 minutes of one bit. And uh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And then we'll call it Saturday Night Live. Hey. Right. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Movie so, 43 is so underrated. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. That movie <laughs> is actually going. Uh, okay. I haven't seen it. I've heard terrible things about it. I'm oh afraid of it. Oh my God. I loved every minute of it. I laughed and I almost pissed myself. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's a lot so of urine in my We're starting to get into the decline of Joe Dante. So I don't want to say much about Isn't- the burbs other than it's boring as fuck. I love the burbs. How dare you? Oh. I thought one of you was really into the burbs. Not me. I dig it. I, the thing I love most about the burbs, and it's, it's totally secondary to the movie itself, but when you know it going in, it's amazing. It happened during a writer's strike. And so basically Dante filmed it in sequence so that he could let the actors improv, and then he would take the best bits that they were going to incorporate, and then they would roll that improv into the next scene so that it would stay consistent. This explains some things about the birds. Yeah. So, yeah, scenes just go on and on forever with the neighbor cajoling Tom Hanks. Hey, go up to the scary house. Go knock on the door. Go up there. Why aren't you going up there, chicken? And I just want to punch him. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but the thing, but basically, it's they they couldn't afford to keep the writer on because of the strike, so they basically just took that bare bones, and then he just let the actors uh, mess around. So Made it shouldn't writers. exist at all. It shouldn't exist at all. Well, that also explains fun. the bad ending, right? So it's kind of horror masquerading as a comedy, and it succeeds yeah. at being neither. And they there's kind of a fake out ending where they they have been ex- suspecting that the. That the people in the in the un you know the unmaintained yeah. house on the block are Satanists. Satan is good. Satan is your Satan pal. Satan is your pal. <laughs> listen to your wife. Who listens to their wife? Listen, you got to listen to me. You know what the deal is? What we got to do is we got to go down to the religious supply store. We got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. No, no. We got to then we got to go to the market. We got to get ourselves a couple of those big strings. You know they string that garlic. A couple big strings of garlic. We got to get ourselves some fresh lamb's blood, and then we got. Ray, do you I'm want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Ray, you're chanting. Ray. Ray, look. Ray. Unconscious chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. And and then it turns out they're not, except then it turns out they are. Yeah, it's a cop-out. It sort of leaves you flat. Because the whole theme of the movie is basically that they're the monsters. So it's not the the poor people that moved in next door, but it's the actual people in the neighborhood. So on that level, it works until you get to the end and you realize that the people that moved in are actual monsters. So, yeah. Yeah. Is that Mary Louise Parker in this movie as as the trophy wife chick? No, that's uh, Wendy Shaw. She's the annoying checkout girl from Inner Space. Uh, oh, okay. That that Martin Short dumps. So yeah, that's another one of his stable of actors. And again, Dick Miller shows up as the garbage man. Thank you, Dick Miller. We need you. All right, <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of the Burbs, but I'm a big fan 
of Gremlins 2. See, oh, yeah. Gremlins, Gremlins 2. Gremlins 2 I have seen, though I have not seen Gremlins. And I do I, appreciate Gremlins 2. You've never seen Gremlins? Nope. I don't know why. I just don't care. <laughs> okay. I'm not well, sure how Gremlins 2 plays if you haven't seen Gremlins, because it's pretty this good. was... It, the Warner Brothers came and said, we want you to do a sequel to Gremlins, and Dante rolls the dice and says, on one condition, you give me complete creative control. Yeah. And they it's did. definitely It's definitely his purest movie. If you look at his entire catalog, you can see yeah. everything on screen. It is way so, sillier than the first Gremlins. <laughs> it's so bonkers. It's a giant fuck you to every sequel that the studio system has ever made. It's amazing. Because they just what I, disp- what I do love is that uh, he went to Rick Baker to do the effects, and Rick Baker's like, "Why the fuck would I want to do that?" And he said the exact same thing to him: "I'll give you complete creative control. Yeah. <laughs> they give it to me. I'll give it to you." But and, so uh, and then he made some gremlins. fucked up shit. Yeah, yeah. I remember I saw that with Eric. I think opening day. Uh, so that's like June sixteenth, nineteen ninety, and the theater. There was like nobody in the theater. And uh, yeah. and that's when I knew it's like oh shit it's like yeah I, this is obviously a very niche film and I hope it plays well but we were laughing through the whole meta thing. yeah I think that's what I loved about it is that it was the beginning really of meta of of commenting on itself and on the world it's in yeah well you get to the part in the middle where the film just melts and breaks <laughs> like it's a and then the gremlins <laughs> yeah. just show up. And then it's like they're, they're in, the, in the theater. They're in the theater, and then Hulk Hogan is asked to quiet them down. Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the Hulkster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too right now. Sorry, folks. It won't happen again. I mean, but they, but it's just sort of just out of the blue. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And uh, and Christopher Lee is cast impeccably. Everything he does on screen just makes me laugh because he just plays it to eleven, and it's the whole Christopher Lee vibe. And they bring in Grandpa Monster to pay homage to all of the old, uh, you know, Elvira, Edma, scary. Well, it's. Um, yeah, Late it's a guy. TV show, monster movies. Yeah, it's a guy modeled after him. It's actually Robert Prosky is the actor. But yeah, okay. yeah we should like- say the conceit of this movie is that the that Ted Turner or a Ted Turner clone rather has made the most impressive broadcasting building ever. Yeah, uh, fully fully automated. But right, but it's taken over by Gremlins and Phoebe Cates has some job there, and the the guy works as an elevator operator because. Apparently, in the most advanced building in the world, you still need somebody to operate the elevators. And no, Billy's in the art department. Yeah. Oh, okay. Somebody operates an elevator. No, um, the gremlins yeah. take over the elevator, and there's a whole Probably bit. Robert Picardo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just yeah. yeah. There's there's they're like a genetics lab where they go hog wild. So you get all these weird hybrid like spider gremlins, bat gremlins. Uh, electric right. gremlins. If you if you've Brain ever seen gremlins the, I think by Tony yeah, Randall. yeah. <laughs> if you've ever 
seen the Key and Peel episode, and, and we touch on this at, in one of our episodes. Oh, Basically, yes. they do a whole bit where it's <laughs> it's uh, Jordan <laughs> Peele comes in as a script doctor while they're brainstorming what to do for Gremlins two, and he just makes them go around the table and name like a gremlin that they want to see in the movie, and it's all like the bad gremlin, and and he's like in the movie, love it. Next, what about a uh, spider gremlin? He's a gremlin with eight legs and a thorax, just catching pretty ladies in a web in an office building. Oh my god, it's in the movie. I love it. Next. Like yeah, that's how that's how insane this movie is. It's just like let's just throw everything at the wall, and if it sticks, it sticks. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. So yeah, gremlins two, gremlins, and yeah, I love it, love it, love it. And then we start to kind of see things just rapidly decline. And so I'm going to mention three movies here. Matinee, Small Soldiers, and Looney Tunes Back in Action. Okay, Matinee is definitely a uh, a middle-age crisis. Like, a, a look back at, when I used to go to the movies, it was so great. They'd yeah. show us complete shit. You know, eh, 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 eh. And we were I don't all know. scared I- of communists. I think to me, matinee is kind of a love letter to his childhood. So yeah, yeah it's that's, n- it's, that's what it's you, n- that's what you do in a middle age crisis. You write yeah. a love letter to your childhood. That but I like matinee. But I like matinee. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's uneven to be sure. But basically, the gist is that a, a William Castle like film impresario uh, shows up in Key West during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and he's workshopping this monster movie that he's done and William Castle's the guy that did Tingler with Vincent Price where he puts the shockers in the seats and things like that so it's all very Mm -hmm. uh, staged for the film Uh, and so he's doing this movie called Mant which is a man who's half ant half man and all of the bits where they do Mant it's just impeccably done because I mean you could literally look at it and go yeah I've seen that movie but it's totally fake uh, John Goodman gives a great little speech about why monster movies. You know, he talks about the first monster movie being a cave drawing of a woolly mammoth, and then like people yeah. would exaggerate the teeth and and how you know the the point of a movie that scares you is to make you feel alive, and yeah. then you go home and you know you're alive, and it's it's a nice sentiment. But yeah, I think this is very much Joe Dante sort of trying to capture for maybe the next generation. This is what my impression of of childhood was you know well what i what i like about it is that he gives you the the two sides of the coin though because you've got all the monster movies but then he also does a giant fuck you to all of those just putrefied disney live action bullshit and he does like a snippet where they're watching a thing called the shook up shopping cart which is basically (laughs) set in england and it's about some girl's uncle that is transported spiritually into a shopping cart and then they have to like solve crimes and it's just this like, you know, two minute blip on an otherwise uninterrupted thing about monster movies. But it's just like the kid being just bored out of his mind at this stupid ass Disney flick. It's so funny. It kills me every time. We have no time to lose, Mr. Adams. We have to find Uncle Cedric before he gets in any more trouble. Well, what does Uncle Cedric look like? Well, he's a shopping cart, you know, chromium finish and his right front wheel. It's sort of wobbly. A shopping cart? Yes. It's a it's a love letter, and uh, that's it's not for everybody. It's up out of diesel. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> and then Small Soldiers is clearly an attempt to remake Gremlins, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. I was so disappointed when I saw that, uh, and I saw it in the only, theater. Only notable for being the last films with uh, Phil Hartman because he got murdered like oh, a month before. That's right. Shit. Well. 
la-di-da, yeah. which is weird. And Everyone it, was like, Phil Hartman died. Who's Phil Hartman? Uh, uh, small soldiers appearing yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's in that. that. Well, and it did all right. I mean, it came in at like number 42 for the year, if I remember correctly, from the shit I looked up. Uh, I mean, it beat out movies like Ronin and Pleasantville. But again, that was the same year as Saving Private Ryan, uh, taking the number one spot. So it's like. And Ronin was fucking fantastic. Ronin's a good way. movie. But it's just weird that there, if you look at his overall filmography, like where it sits every year, uh, Spielberg either is working with him and he's doing well or Spielberg got a movie out that year that totally kills whatever Dante has done. <laughs> I mean, it's like this, there's no other way to look at it. It's so bizarre. <laughs> so this last one, I don't want to go all the way up to the present day, but this last one makes me kind of sad. Yeah. So Warner Brothers is trying to develop a sequel to Space Jam and they don't manage to get Michael Jordan on board. So then... They decide to make it a spinoff, and it's going to be called Spy Jam, and it's going to star Jackie Chan. And then that doesn't work. <laughs> Shut up. And so I'm not You're joking. You're making that this up. Is, You're making nope, that up. Nope. And so what we end up with is they, get, they bring it to Joe Dante. Now, Joe Dante is friends with Chuck Jones, the animator from, from Warner Brothers days. Yeah, he's actually put him in several of his movies, too. Yeah. And so we have this opportunity... Now, you got to understand, Joe Dante hates Space Jam. Like, hates <laughs> And rightly so. Sorry, and, millennials. It's a piece of poop. And Warners, <laughs> unlike Gremlins, does not want to give Joe Dante complete creative control. They want control over this thing because they want yeah. Space Jam, too. And, and you know, that's understandable. Is, is Looney Tunes back in action, which is wherever possible, Joe Dante bitching about Space Jam and trying to inject some Looney Tunes into the Looney Tunes movie, but <laughs> being thwarted by the studio at every turn. Yeah. It's a, I, it's a sad, sad thing for Looney Tunes and for Joe Dante. And Steve Martin in just a really weird role. I never watched the movie, but I've seen the clips. It's almost like he's just playing Ruprecht from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. And then, of course, you're casting Brendan Fraser... And uh, Jenna Elfman. Jenna Elfman. So right there, your casting is probably not gonna buoy this it movie. Definitely very far. has like a, a feel of not everybody really wanted to do this. It yeah. was a job. Yeah, yeah. But there are except some fun for Heather scenes. LeClear, who I'm sure was like, "I'm in a movie now." <laughs> yeah. It's like I missed out on the latest Muppet movie, so we'll do this. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so that there, came out in three. And and just as a sidebar, it's uh it couldn't even make more money than Dickie Roberts' former child star, oh. David Spade. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, why? Yeah. So yeah, nobody else cared so, either. There's a few good scenes. There's a restaurant scene, which is basically this this movie's cantina scene with all of the cameos, where Porky Pig and Speedy Gonzalez are complaining about how they're insensitive to their various stereotypes. At first, they told me to lose the stutter. Now they told me I'm not funny. It's a pain in the butt being politically correct. You're telling me. And there's um, a a drawn in the Hanna Barbera style with lower frame rate in their animation. Shaggy and Scooby, which I think Shaggy was voiced by Casey Kasem, uh, yeah, giving yeah. Matthew Lillard the human shit about the next Scooby Doo movie. 
And <laughs> what kind of performance do you call that? You made me sound like a total space cadet, man. I'm sorry if you're the way I was. Just, I was trying to be real to your character. If you like goof on me in the sequel, I'm coming after you. Yeah. And Bugs Bunny himself tearing into Space Jam because um, he's talking to Jenna Elfman, who's a movie exec. She's trying to bring back the Looney Tunes, and she's like, "What about a sexy girlfriend character for you?" And Bugs is like, "No." I'm the one who dresses up as the sexy girl. About the cross-dressing thing in the past, funny, today, disturbing. Lady, if you don't find a rabbit with lipstick amusing, you and I have nothing to say to each other. So it's one of those movies that sucks, but there's hidden gems. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's another scene that's set in Area 52 that includes a rock version of the Carl Stalling powerhouse song. dun dun da 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 right? Huh. And it has... Okay. It, he pulled all kinds of cameos from like all of his favorite 50s sci-fi movies. So we actually have Robbie the Robot in this. There's a Dalek in this scene. Um, <laughs> we actually have the guy from Invasion of the Body Snatchers playing the character from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, getting walked through here, going, "You're next! You're next!" And um, you're next. They're already here. So that's so Kevin Kevin McCarthy revives yes, his role yes. from Invasion Lodge. Interesting. Yes. Um okay. there, there's the Marvin the Martian is in Area 52. There's stuff from the man from Planet X. There's all kinds of shit in this scene. And then finally there's another scene where they try to blend Duck Amuck and Duck Rabbit season. And the gag here is Elmer is chasing Bugs and Daffy in an art museum, and so they duck into one of the paintings, but the p- first painting they duck into happens to be Persistence of, of Memory, or Persistence of Vision, what is the name of it? The Dali painting? <laughs> yeah, so everything starts, awesome. everything starts melting, <laughs> and then they jump into the scream, and then they jump into, um, oh, what's that really famous pointillism painting, all the people in the park? They jump in uh, they on the island of La Grande Jatte. Yeah. Yeah. So the, with George. So these are the <laughs> scenes where I feel like Joe Dante is asserting himself, right? He's trying to do Looney Tunes stuff. And uh, yeah. it, to this day, though, if you try to interview him on it, he won't say anything about that movie, except it's still better than Space Jam. yeah if they had just cast anyone else i think it would have probably made more money but that cast says we don't care yeah Yeah. well and it's obviously it's obviously warner brothers embrace casting unknowns who are just good at their job that's how we got hugh jackman (laughs) <laughs> this is true. Hmm, yeah. Things that make you go. Hmm. Things that make you go. Hmm. So anyway, he's still kicking around. He does the series Master of Horror. He's done a you know, couple of uh, horror movies like Burying the X, I think most recently. Yeah. Or and the, the Hole. And I honestly Feature. haven't seen those, so I don't have opinions. I, yeah, the only thing that I read that blew my mind going over his filmography was that he at one point was attached to direct The Phantom uh, in the mid '90s, the one that ended up being with Billy Zane, based on the '30s comic strip. Ah, uh, and he ended up—I don't know if it was a disagreement or what. So he's a, a producer on it, but he didn't end up directing it. But I just had to wonder what that would have been like. 
Eh, probably about the same. Yeah, I don't know that there <laughs> is true. anything that could be saved about the Phantom. Smash Evil, everybody. Smash Evil. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah. I think the reason we don't see Joe Dante much anymore and you know his output is what it is, is everyone kind of knows, unless you give him complete control, nothing good comes of it. And yeah. if you do give him complete control, no money comes of it. And then he winds up directing episodes of Hawaii Five-0. Yeah. Damn. So yeah, that's Sad. our show. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing else to add. I got nothing else to add. Thank you, Joe Dante, for your time and service. And that about wraps it up again for another episode of the Magnificently Huge Podcast. As always, go check out old episodes of our show at maghuge.com. M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. There you will find links to our Twitter feed, MagHuge, our Facebook page, Magnificently Huge Podcast, our Instagram, Magnificently Huge. And a link to email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. We're still trying to grow the show, so if you can share us, if you can rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you're listening to podcasts, please do that. And uh, we appreciate your support. We will see you next week for yet more Magnificently Huge. This has been a Magnificently Huge podcast.